Okay, so we've been learning Pirkei Aves um, these last few weeks. And of course, as I've mentioned, the Minhag is to learn Pirkei Aves for six weeks, the six Shabbosos between Pesach and Shavuos. Um, and in fact, that Minhag is so significant that they added a chapter to Pirkei Aves for this. As we've explained in the past, that really Pirkei Aves as a tractate in Mishnah is made up of five Prakim, five chapters. But because there's six weeks, so they added or annexed another chapter from what's called Brisa, which is another work from the same time period as Mishnayis. Um, and that's the sixth chapter, Perik Shishi of, of Pirkei Aves. And in fact, there's one um, common topic to the entire chapter six of Pirkei Aves, and it's all about Torah. Torah study, and the beauty of Torah study, and the significance of it, and the value of it. Um, and of course, that's the, sh- that's the chapter that we read the Shabbos before Shavuos, which we just read this past Shabbos. Um, the Shabbos that leads into the Yom Tov of Shavuos is the Shabbos where the chapter of Pirkei Avos is devoted um, entirely to Torah, to learning Torah, and understanding Torah, and different messages about Torah. So, <coughs> we're going to jump right into it, and we'll go to Mishnah Beis. Excuse me, if you're, looking, if you're following me with the sitter, that's great. If not, it's fine as well. Um, Mishnah Beis, the second Mishnah of chapter 6 of Pirkei Ovas. Omar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was one of the latest Tanoim, one of the latest sages of the Mishnah. And he says the following, Bechol yom v'yom, every single day, Baskol yotzeis mehar choriv. A heavenly voice comes forth from Har Choriv, Mount Choriv. Mount Choriv is another name for Har Sinai. Uh, Har Sinai, which is where we receive the Torah, obviously, um, has a number of names. One of them is Choriv. So, Rabbi Shobh Levi says, Every day a heavenly voice comes forth from Har Choriv, Umachrezes ve'omeres. It announces and says, Oi lahem labrios me'elbona shel Torah. Woe is it to people or to creations who embarrass the Torah. Anyone who doesn't is not involved in Torah. Nikra Nazuf is called one who is scorned. And he goes on to describe different um, uh, expressions or flaws about one who doesn't is not involved in Torah. And that is the statement of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. So again, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Every day an announcement comes forth from Har Chorif, Mount Sinai, and says, Woe to the people who embarrass the value of the Torah. They're called scorned, etc. That's the statement. Now, this statement raises a couple of questions. Number one, um, who hears that basco? <laughs> right? If every day a heavenly voice comes forth from Harsinai giving us spiritual messages, who is that voice for? Because most people don't hear the voice. Right? In fact, um, many people, um, if they hear voices, are embarrassed of hearing voices, and then they're admitted to certain places. So, so what's the story with the heavenly voice that comes forth from Harsinai and says, stop embarrassing my Torah? Um, so typically we might answer, well, the tzaddikim probably hear it. The problem is the tzaddikim don't need to hear it. Right? It's not for the tzaddikim, it's for those who embarrass the Torah. So, but they don't hear the heavenly voice, so this seems like a cash 22. Who's it for, who hears it, and so on. And that, that's a, an interesting question. And that question pertains to this Mishnah as well as to other heavenly voices that we read about in different places, heavenly voice, voices that come forth and give certain messages. Who hears them? And the answer, in short, is that we hear them. There's a part of our neshama that hears them. We have the conscious neshama that we know and feel and deal with every day. But there is what's called the mazel of our neshama. The mazel is a higher level of our neshama that we're not consciously connected with. But it does connect with us, and it sends messages and tugs and feelings to our heart and mind. In fact, it is interestingly, the word mazel, which we typically translate mazel as fortune or luck, mazel also means to drip. The word nozel is to drip. Even in modern Ivrit, nozlim are those things that drip. The mazel of our neshama drips into the neshama that we're, the conscious neshama. And sometimes we suddenly feel inspired. We're inspired to do a mitzvah, we're inspired to do tshuva, we're inspired to learn more Torah. What inspired us? What happened? So sometimes it's easy to trace our inspiration. Well, I, I went to a holy place. I was by a tzaddik. It was Rosh Hashanah. I don't know, I was by a special place. So I'm inspired. But sometimes 
it would seem we get inspired and it's hard to trace exactly what caused me to be inspired at that time. And what the Mishnah is telling us is because we just picked up a message. Now we didn't hear that message with our ears, but there was a message that just reverberated. Our neshama, our antennas of our neshama picked it up and suddenly we're inspired. And that happens. A person is walking in the street and suddenly they're inspired to do tshuva, they're inspired to be a better person, try to do a special mitzvah. That's because we just picked up a message. So, here the Mishnah is discussing one such message. And that's what Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is telling us in this Mishnah in Pirkei Yavis, that every day there are these messages that come forth from Har Chorev. Okay, so that's A. What Mishnah are you on? I Mishnah Beis. Good, excellent. We're, we're in Mishnah Beis. Chapter 6, Mishnah 2. So, the next question is, okay, who exactly are we talking about that embarrasses the Torah? In what way do, does one have the ability to embarrass the Torah? So, simply we would say, well, if someone doesn't learn Torah, Right? But the Rebbe doesn't accept that. He says, if one doesn't learn Torah, then they're not embarrassing the Torah. They're embarrassing themselves. They don't have the Torah. So you can't really embarrass something that you're not connected with. Yes? If you twist the Torah ah. to do things or justify things. Right. So, so embarrassing the Torah, as you're saying, has to be a little more complex. It's not a question of, I didn't study. If you didn't study, first of all, you didn't study, you didn't do a mitzvah. I mean, it's, it's a lot more significant than just embarrassing the Torah. And again, to embarrass something, you have to have connect, a connection to it, and then you're somehow dishonoring it, causing it dishonor. So who specifically are we talking about? And the suggestion that the Rebbe gives here is a very interesting one. And he says, sometimes, or many times, or all too often, we don't value the Torah enough. In other words, it's beautiful, it's interesting, it's inspirational, I learn how to do th certain things, but do we believe enough in the power of the Torah to help me, to change me? Sometimes I might feel I learned something, so it's a nice idea, nice concept. But do we recognize that the Torah is Hashem's most precious gift to us, and by bringing that into our mind and by bringing that into our heart, we're giving ourselves the greatest gift and greatest ability to change ourselves. You know, we struggle. We struggle with different difficulties and, and insecurities or, or materialistic things. Whatever it is, every person has their own struggles. To recognize that the Torah that we learn and think about has the spiritual power to help me, to change me, to refine me, to make me a better or more spiritual person. And that is when one studies the Torah, but doesn't take it seriously in a sense of recognizing this is the best medicine in the world. This is something that can change me as a person. So that's what it means, I'm embarrassing it. I'm not appreciating its value. I'm not giving it the proper respect. I'm not appreciating what it can do for me. Um, and here, I wanna show you something very beautiful. One of the th one of the ideas we've spoken about the, these last how how long have we been learning Pirkei? I think this is the fourth week we've been doing Pirkei Abbas. One of the ideas we're talking about is that whenever we, we read a teaching here, we have to look at the teacher who's teaching the teaching, right? We said it's called Pirkei Avos because this is a study of the Avos themselves, of the fathers of the halachas, the teachers of these concepts, because they're not just saying things; they're expressing who they are. So, in order to understand this idea better, let's look at the one who taught this teaching. And who is he? Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi. I mentioned one of the later sages of, of Mishnayis is Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi. And I, want, I wrote along a Gemara here, and I want to read to you a fascinating Agadah in the Gemara. Now, you know, the Agadahs in the Gemara are fascinating tales, sometimes hard to wrap our hands around them, but they give us the deepest insights into really the, the, the secrets of the Torah. So there is a, a fascinating piece of Gemara in the tra Tractate Ksuvos, um, 87b, uh, I think. That's where it was before. Give me a second. Um, hey, oh, I take that back. 77b. There, there it is. Ayin Zayin Oibis. In Gemara, right? Um, everyone's Aramaic is good? Mm -hmm. Or should I translate? <laughs> Rocks, I'll help you out. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll do some Aramaic, but primarily we'll do English. And again, fascinating story of the Gemara. It says the following. It talks there about some um, type of sickness that was, uh, uh, that was obviously very contagious and very dangerous. 
And the different Chachamim, the different sages were saying, you got to be very careful with this sickness. It was called Bali Ra'asan. I don't know how that translates into today's sicknesses. It says, look, Rabbi Zeira, who's one of the sages of the Talmud, wouldn't even sit in an area which was uh, where there was a wind blowing and it was near the people with the sickness because it can be carried by the wind. Rabbi Eliezer wouldn't go into the same tent as someone with that. Rav Ami Rav Asi wouldn't eat with these people and so on. Then it says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, who is the champion of tonight's class. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Michrach behu v'asik He would bring them close to him and teach them Torah. These people who have that very dangerous sickness. He says, when I'm teaching them Torah, I'm safe. That's what he says. He says, he brings a pasuk, he says, if Torah brings such holiness and beauty to us, won't it protect me from any negative influences? And that's what he did. That's what it says about Yeshua Levi. Then it goes on and says, when it was time for Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi to pass away, so in heaven, they called the angel of death, the Malach and they said, go to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi and you know, do your thing, right? But be nice to him, you know, he's a tzaddik. So take, you know, be easy. So they sent the Malach for Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. They come to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi and he comes to him. And Rishul Levi says, um, and obviously he sees the Malachim And he says, do me a favor. Before you do what you have to do, I would like you to show me the place where I'm going. I want, you to, I want you to show me the place in Gan Eden that's promised for me. And the Malachim says, okay, no problem. But there Rishul Levi says, you know what? I'm a little nervous walking near you. <laughs> you know, you're a dangerous character. I want you to give me your knife. He tells the Malach HaMavas. That clearly doesn't mean a literal knife, but whatever tool he has, which he causes death. So if Yeshua Malibu says, I'm afraid to walk with you when you have your tool of death, he says, hand it to me. And the Malach HaMavas says, okay. Again, the Malach, they're, they're on good terms here. Malach HaMavas gives it to him. He brings him to this place in Olam Haba. He picks him up. He raises him up to, to look at it. It would seem it's behind a wall or something like that. And he raises him. Rabbi Shomalevi leaps in to his place in Olam Abba. So now he's just supposed to be watching it from outside. Now he's inside. The Malach Amavis is holding on to his garment. Rabbi Shoma Levi promptly says, I take an oath that I'm not leaving here. I, I swear I'm not leaving. Leaving, Ganeden? leaving Ganeden. Alive. He wasn't killed yet. Right? He's alive. And he jumps into Ganeden and he's there. Like body and soul with his clothing. He's there. So the Malachamavas is holding on to the garment and says, you got to come out. You know, there's a, there's a procedure. And he says, I'm not leaving. So the Malachamavas is somewhat stuck. <laughs> so he sends a quick text to Hashem. And he says, what do I do now? This is, you know, we're going against the rules here. So the Malachamavas asks Hashem what to do. Omar Kutshabrich. And Hashem says, and I'm reading this from the Gemara. Hashem says, he says, let's give a quick look at this man's lifetime. In his entire lifetime, did he ever take an oath that he absolved? Because we know there's something called Hataras Nadarim. One can make an oath and one can absolve an oath, right? So in his lifetime, did he ever absolve an oath? If yes, then he'll have to absolve this oath as well. Because he just took an oath that he's not leaving Alam Haba. So if he ever in his lifetime absolved an oath that he took, so we'll make him absolve this oath, then he'll leave Alam Haba, you do what you got to do. So they quickly looked into his lifetime and said, no, he never took an oath that he, that he absolved. So Hashem says, okay, then he, then he can stay. He can stay the way he is. Now, the Malachimavah says, but give me my knife. <laughs> right? I have my tool that I, that I you know, that's, that's my profession. So Rabbi Shulam says, no, I'm not giving you your knife. <laughs> I think you'll do better without it. So a heavenly voice comes forth and he says, give him his knife. <laughs> he needs that. He needs that to fulfill my bidding, says Hashem. And he gave it to him. That's the story. Um, sorry. No. Right. Now, now Rabbi Shur Levi is in Ganeda. Again, as a human being, body and soul together, like a Leolanov. Right? There's a few people in the history of creation that it's written about them that they entered the next life, body and soul. Most famously is Eliyahu Hanavi, because that's described in Tanakh, how he went up in the heavenly chariot, right? That's Eliyahu Hanavi. And 
Eliyahu is the only one described in Tanakh, but in various Midrashim, it says it about a few people, one of them being this Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi in this story that we just read. Okay. Now Eliyahu comes, and he's bringing him to uh, his, his befitting place, I guess, or a higher place of Ganadin, and he's announcing, make room for the son of Levi, who's coming to Ganadin now. He's traveling through the chambers of Ganadin, Ashkechel Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. He finds Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. Right, the great side we spoke about him recently, right? And he's sitting on his uh, golden thrones and so on and so forth. And Rishim Barachai looks at him and says, "Are you the? Are you Ben Levi? Are you the son of Levi that I hear they're talking about?" So he says, "Yes, that's me." So he says, "I have a question for you." Rishim Barachai asks Rabbi Shua Ben Levi. He says, "During your lifetime, was there ever a rainbow in the sky?" What's the, what's the meaning of that question? It's written about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that during his lifetime there was never a rainbow. And the reason for that is because a rainbow is a symbol that we're not the way we're supposed to be. Right? We know the initial rainbow was made after the Mabel and Hashem said whenever I get angry at the world I'll have the rainbow to remind me that I took an oath not to destroy the world. So a rainbow is indicative of that we need extra zchusim. We're not doing so great. So in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's lifetime there never was a rainbow because he was such a tremendous tzaddik and had such a powerful impact on the world that there was never a time that there was really a, the midas hadin, the severity was never so strong that required a rainbow. So now we're X amount of years later. And Yeshua ben Levi is in Gan Eden and he's meeting with Shem Bar Yechai. And Shem Bar Yechai says, was there ever a, a, a rainbow during your lifetime? And Yeshua ben Levi says, yeah. So Rishim Bar-Yuchai says, yeah, then you must not be the Rabbi Shua ben Levi that I heard about. Because based on what I heard about Rishim ben Levi, I was expecting that in your lifetime there shouldn't be a rainbow. Says the Gemara that the truth is that there was not a rainbow in Rishim ben Levi's time. He was answering out of humility. He didn't want to say that I never had a rainbow, but really he was on that level, like Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yuchai, that there was no rainbow during his lifetime. Okay? Let's move on. Um... Well, that, that, that's the end of the story. Rabbi Shua Malibu was taken to where he had to be in Ganeda. That's the end of that story. Wait, he gets to stay up there with his body? Yes. Yes, he stays there. He never, he never passes away physically. That's the story. Then the Gemara moves on and says, okay, there was another great sage of the time. His name was Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa. Your mother is trying to call. <laughs> Just passing that on. Um, there... Hanging up. Those are all the Bar Papas, right? From the Siyam? He's one of them. Right. Rav Bar Papa was also about to pass away. And this is a short time after Rabbi Shob and Levi's story. Rav Hanina Bar Papa is about to pass away. And again, the Malach Amavas does his job, right? And he sent, go get Rav Hanina Bar Papa. And again, be nice to him. Very similar story. Um, he comes to Rav Hanina Bar Papa. Rav Hanina Bar Papa sees him and says, I need 30 days. He says, why do you need 30 days? He says, because I want to review the entire Torah. Before I go to heaven, I want to have it all clear. I'm coming to heaven. I want to be prepared. I need 30 days to review everything. Malachim says, fine. No, no, no problem. And he comes back 30 days later. He comes 30 days later, and Rachel Papa says, okay, I want to see the place where I'm going. Yeah, the Malach Ma was having a hard, hard time, right? <laughs> hard week. So, so, yeah, hard week. Now, we don't really feel that bad for the Malach Ma but this is the story. <laughs> so he says, I want to see the place where I'm going. She so says, okay. Then he says, give me your knife. <laughs> he says, no, no. He says, do you want to do to me just like your friend did? You know, I'm smarter than that. I remember from last week or whatever it was. He says, I'm not doing it. Sir Hanina Bar Papa says, Bring a Sefer Torah and tell me if you can find one word in the Sefer Torah that I did not fulfill completely during my lifetime. So I'm worthy that you should listen to me and that you should give me your knife just like you did for Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. And here the Malachim answers. He says, true, you did everything he says in the Torah. Did you bring even people with contagious illnesses next to you to teach them Torah? He says, no. He says, you're not on the level of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. And still the Gemara says, nevertheless, even with that, when he did, he did pass away, when he passed away, a heavenly fire came down and separated between him and all the other people that were there that gathered for his funeral. 
And this is only something that happens for one person in the generation or two people in a generation. That's the end of that story in the Gemara. But aside from the fascinating points of the story, how does that relate to what we're learning here? So the lesson I heard was that that it's going it's it's in Hashem's hands whether we catch that sickness sickness or whatever that is, and that if we're supposed to be learning Torah and sharing Torah and growing Torah, then we should go weiter and not we'll worry if we're going to cut and we'll be protected. Right, right. Which is and even amongst the tzaddikim, it took someone like Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi to be holding at that level. Right? We're talking about not just a regular tzaddik. But what we see about Rabbi Shubham Levi is, I want to talk about three points in the story. One point is his belief in the power of Torah. That's what he said. He said, Torah is going to protect me. That's, and he had this tremendous belief, more so even than other tzaddikim. That was one thing. The second thing is his impact on his generation that he, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai made, brought about that the entire generation shouldn't eat a rainbow. That means he, through his Torah study and Torah teachings, was able not only to be a tzaddik for himself, but was able to impact an entire generation, that the whole world was in a state of schus, in a state of merit, instead of a state of din, severity, which would require a, a rainbow for his entire lifetime. And finally, his level of personal elevation that his physical body was holy enough to be in Gan Eden. Right? As I said earlier, the only one we find that about in Tanakh is Eliyahu Hanavi. It says Eliyahu Hanavi was in such a state of, of spiritual perfection that his physical body felt at home in heaven. Right? Most of us, our physical body wouldn't belong in heaven, wouldn't be able to handle it because it's physical, it's materialistic. Heaven is a place of spirituality of holiness. But someone whose body was totally... Um, imbued and uh, pervaded and totally transformed to such a state of holiness that physically in his body he could be in Gan Eden like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu goes for 40 days to heaven. Body and soul. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't soul didn't leave his body when he went to learn Torah from Hashem for 40 days. So as a physical human being, he was comfortable amongst the Malachim and amongst the Neshamas. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi represents belief in the power of Torah and actually seeing how the Torah brought him to such a state of spiritual elevation and brought the entire world to a state of spiritual elevation. And that's Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, the one who believes and sees the power of Torah to refine, to elevate, to make holy ourselves and the world around us. And that's what Yeshua ben Levi told us in the Mishnah here in Pirkei Avos. He said that that heavenly voice that comes forth from Chorev, right? Har Chorev, and says, O lehem lebrius me'elbona shel Torah, woe to the people who embarrass the Torah, means, again, they, learn, they might learn Torah, but they don't respect it for its power. They don't recognize what it could do for them, how much it could help them, how much it could transform them, how much it could transform the world around them. We have to believe in the power of Hashem's greatest gift. You know, the first word, and we've said this many times in the past, the first word of, mata, of, of the giving of Torah, which we have again this, this Friday, is Anochi. Right? Anochi Hashem Elokech. Anochi means I. But it's an odd way to say I in Hebrew. And the Gemara says, in a different tractate, says that the word Anochi is actually an, an acronym, a Rashi Tevos, for the words, Ana Nafshi Ksavis Yohavis, which means Hashem says, I, my very essence, have put into these writings. Hashem gifted himself to us and gives us the ability to take him into ourselves. If we respect that and, and understand the great gift that Hashem give, gave us by allowing us to bring him into ourselves, then we understand, yes, that can help me and have that type of belief like Rabbi Shobham Levi had that this will help me, it will help me physically, it will help me spiritually, it will refine me, it will elevate me, it will make me a better person, a holier person, for me, for my friends, for my family, for my home, for my because it's so powerful. And that's the gift of Torah. How is this belief, this gift of Torah, different if not if from Bitochon? You know, you really, that whole Bitochon chair was, right. I, I'm a different person from that. That was amazing. So now you're saying belief 
is that Bitaqon? Like, so can you differentiate or not? Right. Or okay, good. Right. So they're both very powerful concepts and both uh -huh. true concepts and not contradictory at all. Bitaqon is more general as far as I believe in a, that I am in Hashem's hands at any point in time and whatever it has to be, Hashem will take care of me and help me and so on and so forth. Here we're talking about something more specific. Hashem gave us a specific gift called Torah. And the more we're able to give ourselves the gift of bringing more Torah into ourselves, the more we're bringing that gift, making it part of ourselves. And that helps us, that elevates us, that refines us, that helps us deal with different struggles that we have because we have more of this Kedusha in us. So is Bitochon with Hashem and this is with Torah? Like that's different? Right. Though Torah, Torah, obviously Torah is connected to Hashem. But here we're talking about specifically a certain gift that Hashem gave us. Use this gift and see how this will help you. How, see how this will refine you and bring you and pick you up. I want to know how the Torah is embarrassed. So it's not a question of it being embarrassed. It means when there's, someone, when there's something here that's very special, very holy, and I'm not attributing to it its significance, that means I'm embarrassing it. It doesn't mean that its feelings are hurt. It means that I am not according it the respect that it deserves. No, I have it, I'm learning it, but I think it's whatever, you know, it's not that powerful. So I am embarrassing it. I am not seeing it for what it is. It's like, imagine you have this uh, golden table that someone gifts you, the king gives you the beautiful, yeah. golden, exquisite table, and you use it for, I don't know, just right. to, to put the Legos on, whatever, just for something. So you've, you've, you've taken the greatest gift of the king, and you've not appreciated it for what it is. So you're embarrassing it. Again, it's not a question of its feelings. It's a question of my lack of appreciation of what's being given to me. Right? A story I, I think I've told here in the past, but a, a, a firsthand story that I know, that is when my parents should live and, live and be well, um, they're shluchim of the Rebbe, and they were sent to West Moonfield, Michigan in 1975. Um, and I was just a two-year-old child that went along with them at the time. One of the first people that they met Actually, you know, um, you know Judy Carbel. She mm -hmm. lived here for mm -hmm. years, right? Mm -hmm. So she, there, she and her two sisters, Mir Madahan and Ruth Rothstein, were one of the first people that my parents got to know, and they talked to and lived with them, Chassidus, and so on and so forth. Now, Judy's husband was Avram Carbel, Al Carbel. He passed away recently, a couple of years ago. So he worked in a um, in a library in a huge conservative synagogue in Detroit that's still there called Shari Tzedek. I don't know, maybe 2,000 members. Huge synagogue. He was a librarian. One day, two sisters walk into the library, and they're looking for books on Kabbalah. And he says, why? You know, what? And they said, because we're studying astronomy, astrology, and we heard the Jewish Kabbalah has what to say about it, so we want to study some Kabbalah. And he told them, he says, I don't know what I can help you with, but I know that there's a young rabbi that just came to town that he knows the Kabbalah. Why don't you talk to him? Wow. And he sends them to my father. So they come to my father, 1975. Are, are they Jewish? Yes, oh. very much so. And they come to my father and they say, listen, we heard you're a rabbi, we heard you know Kabbalah, would you teach it to us? And he says, gladly, that's what I'm here for. He says, but we want you to understand we're not doing this for religious purposes, we're not definitely not to change our lives, and we're not interested in mitzvahs, and don't try to sell us on any of that. If you, in fact, if you talk to us, if you talk to us about that, we, we stop the class, because that's not what we're looking for. This is purely a professional pursuit. We want to study this to help us in our knowledge. And my father says, sure. And he started with them a class in Tanya. <laughs> well, now we're almost, what is it, almost 40 years later, almost 50 years later, I say take that back, um, and the amount of from children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren from that story is probably over 100 by now. Wow. Because of three sisters and their families and their children and eight o'clock, some Chabad, some not Chabad, and yeshivas all over the world, all from that story. And I know many of them. Now, but, so it's a beautiful story, but more than anything, what's the story? The, fact the that power the of... The man sent them to your father. <laughs> that, that's one part. But the, the power of the Torah. Because once a Yid is learning Torah, that Torah is entering them and will affect them in ways that they might appreciate or not or know or envision. It changed their lives and the lives of their families and families' families without them having wanted to even. All they were looking for is something to help them in their profession. And what Rabbi Shub and Levi here are saying is that we have to recognize that when Hashem gives us this, this magnificent gift, it's a powerful gift. 
and recognize that yes, it can help me. And it's not just, hey, I'm a lost case anyway, and I have so many problems and so many issues and whatever, whatever. Recognize what Hashem gave us here. Um, I, I've shared here in the past, but I'm going to share it again because these are, it's right before Shavuos. Um, another beautiful story the Gemara says when, um, when um, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to the mountain, so he learns the entire Torah from Hashem. How many days does it take? You know, 40 days and 40 nights. That's what the Pasuk says. He goes up on the mountain, excuse me, Arbaim Yom, Arbaim Laila, 40 days and 40 nights, and he studies the Torah from Hashem. So we're, we will, we'll sit around and think, so how much do you think he studied every day? You got to take the entire Torah, as much as you can envision, the Chumash and the Tanakh and Gemara and Mishnah, whatever it was, and divide it into 40, so they probably learned, I don't know how many hours a day, and, right? So that's what we would think, that every day he learned a certain amount of the Torah. Says the Gemara, that's not what happened. The Gemara says, every day he learned everything and forgot it all. And the next day, the second day, he started over, learned everything and forgot it all. And this happened 40 times. Ad, shanitna lo bimatona. Until on the 40th day, it was given to him as a gift. And that's why it's called matan Torah, the gift of Torah. That's what the Gemara says. And the question is, what was this all about? Why was he forgetting everything every day? I mean, we know, I mean, as, as teachers or whatever, you know, people forget things, but not everything every day. And Moshe Rabbeinu was a pretty good student. Why did he forget everything every day? Well, what's, what was the idea? What was going on? There's got to be a deeper message here. And one of the answers given is, because Torah, as we said before, is Hashem investing his essence into this. That's beyond human grasp. Hashem is infinite. So if Hashem is investing His very essence into the Torah that He gives us, as we said, Anochi, I, Anon, Hashem says, I am investing myself into these writings. If Hashem, the infinite Hashem, is really invested in this wisdom, that's something that the human mind can't grasp. Even Moshe Rabbeinu's mind. Because even Moshe Rabbeinu is a human being and is therefore finite and not infinite and therefore not a vessel, a receptacle for the infinite nature of Hashem. Until 40 days later, Hashem says, you know what? I'm gifting it to you. Meaning, I'm gifting you the ability to retain my Torah. It was a divine gift. It was a nace. It naturally can't be. So this is what we have to appreciate when we're learning Torah. It's not just a nice idea, a nice thought, a nice Dvar Torah, a nice historical perspective. It's Hashem. That Hashem sort of puts himself on a silver platter and says, here, take me. And when you take this into yourselves, you have me within you. And that is powerful. And that's where Yeshua ben Levi is saying, he says, let's not make the mistake of not recognizing the value, the significance, the kedusha of the Torah that we learn. That is an idea on the Pirkei Avos, on, on chapter, on Perigvav, Mishnah base. But I want to take it a step further, and especially as we're just a couple of days from the giving of Torah again, time 3,000, 335, because that's exactly how many years ago it was this week, 3,335 years ago on the 6th of Sivan, where Hashem comes down and gives us a Torah. And we are taught, um, based on the teaching, it says in the Pasuk and Megillah, where it says, <coughs> excuse me, Hayamim niskarim v'nasim, that these days, as they happen every year, they happen again. So although we might not be transplanted to the uh, Sinai Desert in a few days, but the concept of Hashem Giving the Torah happens again from new every year. And all parts, all aspects of it. And that's one of the reasons, especially in Chabad, that the Rebbe made such a big deal of everyone trying to be there by Kriya Satara when we read the Ten Commandments, when we read the Aserah Sadibras. Um, men, women, children, just like the first time around, everybody was there when the Ten Commandments were read. And I know that that's a problem for many because depending on which shul you go to, a lot of people do the reading of the Torah the first day of Shuas at five in the morning after being up all night. And a lot of the, especially the women or the children, might not be in shul at five in the morning. So, what? Maybe. Maybe. It does happen. <laughs> it does happen. And that's, that's an issue. But, if, but in many shuls, definitely in a Chabad shul, in many shuls, there's going to be a regular reading of the Torah at the regular time. And this was something that the Rebbe made it a very central thing to try to bring everyone, as much as possible, men, women, and children, to hear the Aserah Sadibros because that's happening again then. It's happening today, this year again. Hashem is giving us that tremendous gift of Torah once again. 
But I want to share with you a very, another fascinating idea about the fact that Hashem gives the Torah every year. Um, and this is based on another segment of Gemara. Before I was reading from Tractate Ksuvos, now I'm reading from Tractate Shabbos on page Peites um, 89. Fascin- another fascinating Gemara, Agoda. And guess who's the one who says this teaching? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, the same one we've been talking about. V'amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. B'sha'a yorad Moshe melefnei HaKadosh Baruch Moshe Rabbeinu comes back down to the world. He leaves heaven, comes to the world with the Torah. So Moshe leaves heaven. Who shows up to Hashem? Bas Satan. Comes our good friend, the Satan. And he comes to Hashem and he says, Ribbon Shalom, Torah Heichan He. Where's the Torah? Satan, the Satan, who's also, his other nickname is Malachamavis or Yitzhahara, whatever you want to call him. Right, the bad guy. So he comes to Hashem and says, where's the Torah? Hashem says, um... I gave it to the to the earth. Amar lo nisati hala aritz. I gave it to the earth. Halach. So Satan starts to search. Halach itzal aritz. He goes to the earth and he talks to the actual earth, the ground, and he says, "Torah heichan he." Where's the Torah? And the ground answers using a pasuk. He says, "I don't know." <laughs> he says, "Whatever." Elokim hevin dar. I don't know. So the Satan goes to the seas and he asks the seas, "Where's the Torah?" He says, "It's not by me." He goes to the tahom. The tahom is the uh, um, like underground, the water that's deep, deep. I forget what it's, I don't know what the English word for it is. In Yiddish, they say the upgrunt. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, the depths of the earth. He says, no, he says, not by me. Basically, he goes everywhere. Can't find it. Comes back to Hashem. Says, Ribona shal olam. Chipasti b'chala aretz velo mitzasiha. I searched everywhere. Couldn't find it. Where is the Torah? Omar lo, Hashem tells the Satan, lech eitzel ben Amram. Go to the son of Amram. Go to Moshe. Halach eitzel Moshe. The sudden comes to Moshe. The Torah that Hashem gave you, where is it? Amar loy. Moshe says, Who am I that Hashem should give me the Torah? Moshe tells the Satan. Amar le'akodesh baruchu le'Moshe. Hashem is listening in the background. Hashem says, Moshe, Moshe, are you talking falsehood? <laughs> Moshe badayata? Are you, you know, what's the story? What do you mean? Because Moshe is indicating he didn't get the Torah. So Moshe says, Amar le'fanav ribonia shalaylam. Moshe then turns to Hashem. Chenda genuza yeshlechad. You have the greatest treasure. Shatam mishtashea b'bochal yom. The treasure that gives you pleasure every day. Ani achazik tovel atzmi. I should consider myself a recipient of it. That I'm worthy to be a recipient of your Torah. Hashem responds to Moshe and says, being that you were so humble, from now on the Torah is going to be called your Torah. As the Pasuk says, Zichru Torah Moshe Avdi. It's called the Torah Moshe, the Torah Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says, it's going to be called yours because of your humility and you're looking at yourself as not being worthy to be the receiver of the Torah. That's that passage. Again, a fascinating Torah passage. On the side of a Gemara, there is the commentaries on the right, commentaries on the left. This is Rashi, right? The foremost commentary on Chumash and Mishnah, Gemara is Rashi. On the other side, we have commentary called Tosfos. Tosfos is of a, it's really a group of commentators who lived about, I don't know, eight, uh, 800 years ago. They give, write give or take. <laughs> well, this is a small, I, I couldn't, I could have brought my big Gemaras here, but this is a small, small Gemara. I, I thought Tosos were Rashi's grandsons. Some of them. Tosos is a group of about 60 Rabbonin. Amongst them were some of Rashi's oh. grandsons, correct. So Tosfus here asks a question. Wait, also, Rabbi Yoshua told this story? What were you saying about Yeah, Rabbi Yoshua is one who says that he gave over this okay. teaching. He gave over this okay. teaching. Now, Tosfus on the side asks a simple question. Which most people, you read through the story, you don't think of some obvious points. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu comes back down to the world and Sutton shows up and says, where's the Torah? Where was Sutton till now? Didn't he know about Matan Torah? Matan Torah wasn't a private event. Matan Torah was a huge event and the whole world heard of it and it was thunders and lightning and Hashem reveals himself on the earth. What, Sutton was taking a nap? Like, where was he? How is it that when, when the whole story is finished, Sutton, Shalom Aleichem, where's the Torah? Where was Satan the entire time? That's a question that Tesfus asked. So Tesfus answers. He says that when Hashem wanted to give the Torah to the Eden, he got the Satan out of the way. He got him busy with other things. He sent him on a mission. 
you know, sometimes we'll send someone, just do me a favor, go far away and get me a cup of water, right? So Hashem says, Hashem was matrid the sudden. He got him busy. He got, so he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be around because Hashem knew if he would be around, he would have been a prosecutor. He would tell Hashem, why are you giving them the Torah? They're not worthy of the Torah. They're going to do the Egel in 40 days. He would have a million and one reasons why we're not worthy of receiving the Torah. And some of his reasons might have been pretty compelling. So it says Hashem got him out of the way. Pushed him out of the way, got him busy. So much so, he had no idea. He was put on leave of absence. And then when it was all finished, he was let back in and says, we're, we're the Torah. That's what Tosa says. Says the Rebbe from the previous Rebbe's. He says, just like every year on Shavuos, Hashem gives us the Torah again. Every year on Shavuos, on Shavuos, the Satan is not able to disturb us from receiving the Torah. And therefore he says, any resolutions that we make on Shavuos about learning more Torah, about Shuvah for not having appreciated the Torah enough, anything that we do Torah-oriented during Shavuos, we're not beset with the regular distractions of the Satan. Because the whole story of Matan Torah happens every year again. The idea that Hashem gives us the Torah and also that for those for that period, for that period of giving the Torah, Hashem pushes our personal satan out of the way and allows us to receive the Torah fully and rededicate ourselves to the Torah fully every year on Shavuos without the distractions of the satan. In fact, in the book Hayom Yom, where he had, there's a Hasidic aphorism for every day, he says that the power of Shavuos is the same as the power during the time of Tkiyos and Rosh Hashanah, when we blow the shofar, and the power of Yom Kippur where the satan is not in charge now. Now it's us and Hashem, and Hashem is giving us His gift, and we have that ability to dedicate ourselves to it, um, to receiving the Torah once again. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll conclude. It was 1989. 1989, so what is that, 34 years ago. And um, I was then a student in Yeshiva, in Crown Heights by the Rebbe, and it was the night before Shavuos, now, just to, to introduce that story, it's important to understand in Hasidic lexicon, there is, the Rebbe, the Rebbe would talk, you know, countless talks. There's sicha, a sicha, and a mimer, right? A sicha was a talk. The Rebbe would talk hundreds, thousands of sichas of talks, Torah talks. But then there was a mimer. A mimer was a Hasidic discourse. And always, that was Hasidus, and by Hasidim always, a mimer was seen on a, the highest level of like a direct divine um, teaching coming from Hashem. Like everyone would stand when the Rebbe would say a mimer, they would sing a nigan. Now, in the last years of the Rebbe's lifetime, he hardly said any memoir. He said many, many sikhas, many talks, but a Hasidic discourse in the tune of a Hasidic discourse was only twice in all the six years that I said. I was there from 1987 through 93, only twice. And the last time that the Rebbe said a memoir was the eve of Shavuot, the night before Shavuot of 1989. And I was there in the shul. In 770. And he started off with a Pasuk. It was in a sing-song, a mimer. And he started talking about, about the Pasuk of Anochi and why Hashem introduces himself by saying that he took us out of Mitzrayim. Seemingly, he could have said, I'm Hashem who created heaven and earth. Right? If Hashem is you know, giving his name card, he's showing up to the world for the first time, the greatest revelation ever, before and ever after. Hashem must tell us, who is he? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Creation. I created heaven and earth and everything in between. But that's not what he said. He said, I am God that took you out of Mitzrayim. Which would seem to be a much lesser feat than creating heaven and earth. I mean, going out of Mitzrayim is a big deal. But you can't compare that to creating the entire universe. So why then did Hashem introduce himself by saying, I took you out of Mitzrayim? instead of saying I created heaven and earth, is the question that the Rebbe talked about on that night, the night before Shavuos in 1989. And he said, it was a lengthy mind, I'm just going to say the point. He said, because if Hashem would say, I'm Hashem who created heaven and earth, then he's essentially talking about himself. I'm so great, I created heaven and earth. Hashem said, I am Hashem and I'm here for you. I took you out of your Mitzrayim. That's what Torah is. Torah is not, oh, Hashem is so great, let's study him. Hashem says, this is me here to help you out of your Mitzrayim, whatever that Mitzrayim will be. As we know, Mitzrayim is not just a place of Egypt of old. Mitzrayim means limitations, difficulties, addictions, tsaris, right? That all of us have. 
And Hashem says, I am Hashem who takes you out of Mitzrayim. You know how? Through the Torah that I'm giving you today. I'm giving you that Torah and that Torah will take you out of your Mitzrayims. That's how Hashem took us. That's how He greeted us on that first day, on the first day on Shavuos of, of that year. And the Rebbe went on and said, therefore, that the whole thing happens every year as we've been discussing, including the preparations for it. That we know that the days leading up to Matan Torah, the Jews were very heavily preparing for it. What was the most significant or greatest or most famous preparation that we did for the giving of the Torah? The day before Shavuos, we all said, Naseh v'nishma. Right? On the, on the fifth of seven. Shavuos, the giving of the Torah was Shabbos, by the way. This year, it's Friday. In, right? But then, the sixth of seven was Shabbos. And on Friday, excuse me, which is the fifth of seven, which is this year Thursday, I hope I'm not being confusing, on Friday, all of us stood and, and we were asked, are you in? And we said, Naseh v'nishma. We will do and we will listen. Famously meaning we'll follow whatever you say and we'll also try to understand. But we're not, our following is not conditional on our, own, our, on our understanding. We accept Nasa, we accept to do what Hashem wants. Vinishma, we also accept to learn and understand and appreciate. That's what we all said on the day before Matan Torah. That was the great hachana, the great preparation that led to the reception of Torah. And therefore, the Rebbe said then, and this is a very important thing to remember, and we're, we're, again, we'll conclude with this. The Rebbe said that it behooves us every year on Erev Shavuos, on this coming Thursday, to take a couple moments and think about Nasa Venishma. Because if this whole idea is being reenacted every year, then not just the giving of Torah, and not just that the satan is put out of the way, but also our acceptance that leads to the giving of Torah is when we say Nasa Venishma, we have to take a few moments on Erev Shavuos and say Nasa Venishma in our own minds, in our own hearts, because that's the hachana, that's the preparation that leads to this great day of Matan Torah. And the Rebbe said, even though Erev Yantav, people are typically very, very busy. Right? It seems then too. And Erev Yantav is a time when people don't really have time to sit and reflect and think and whatever, whatever. So the Rebbe, but being that we just, that we spoke, that on Shavuos, when it comes to the giving of Torah, Hashem removes our, our Satan, He removes our Yitzhahara, so He also removes those obstacles of I don't have five minutes. Mm. Because if we know that we're given special koch on this yomtiv to be able to receive the Torah once again, that includes that we have we can find the few minutes, the five minutes or whatever it is, to sit and think about it and internally tell Hashem, yes, I'm accepting it again, I'm dedicating myself, I'm dedicating myself to it again, to nasa, to do whatever it tells me, nishma, to learn it, to learn it more, to understand it more, to bring it more into me, and to rededicate ourselves and to receive that again this year. Wow. You always bring it so like alive. It's a, it's alive. I know, but like wow. One last idea. Okay, sure. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is it timing? Okay, one 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 quick one quick last idea. I'm gonna, I already said twice. I'm concluding, but one more idea. Chaper Also, probably an idea that I've shared in the past, but still a beautiful idea. Gemara says, Hillel, we talked about Hillel. Hillel was the uh, sage, the first, um, he lived about 100 years before the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. Um, and Hillel was the beginning of the Hillel dynasty. Right? After Hillel, his son was the Nasi and his grandson for 13 generations. That was the greatest, the longest standing dynasty, probably, of sages, the time of Mishnah, Talmud, and beyond. Gemara says, Hillel Mechaiv Anim. What does that mean, Hillel Mechaiv Anim? Hillel obligates poor people. And Gemara explains, person passes on, comes to heaven, and they ask him, did you study Torah? He says, I would have loved to. I didn't have any time. I was too poor. I was making a living. I just didn't have time to study. So they, in heaven they say, good. Hillel was poorer than you. Because Hillel, the Talmud says, was so poor, he would chop some wood to make some pennies, and whatever he'd make, he'd give half to his wife for their fam- for food or whatever, the other half went for the Bismedrish. Hillel was poverty-stricken, and nevertheless, he grew to be Hillel, teacher of the Jewish people. Next, guy comes up to heaven and says, uh, they say, did you study Torah? He says, I would have loved to. I was too wealthy. 
I was always on business trips. I, you know what was going on? I was running, you know, corporations when I was like, I never had time to learn. They say, good idea, good thought. But Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was wealthier than you. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Noakadosh, the one who, um, who put together the Mishnah, was the wealthiest man of his generation, who was wealthier than the Roman emperor. And he learned a lot of Torah. He was the teacher of the Jewish people. And that's what it means that Hillel obligates the poor. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, or another tzaddik, obligate the wealthy. Because basically, he was so poor and was able to study Torah that, that sort of, he ruined the excuse of poverty. Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi ruined the excuse of wealth. Basically, they took away all of our excuses. That's what the Gemara sounds like. And the Rebbe asks a very insightful question. Ask the following. The person who comes up to heaven and says, I was too poor, I didn't have time. What's the truth? Did they have time or didn't they have time? They had time. Because if they really had time, so they're just, how do you say in English, during a cup? They waited No, no, if you have time, so in heaven they'll say, stop, you know, in heaven you can't lie. If the person really had time, why do you have to say Hillel, Hudanasi? Say, stop, you know, you had time. We know you had time. They play the video back. Of course you had time. So why do you have to mention that Hillel, Hudanasi, the guy says he had no time. You say you did have time. You know, stop hacking your China. On the other hand, if you really didn't have time, then what are you telling me about Hillel and Hudanasi? I didn't have time. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. And he says something that's very profound and very true, and most of us, I think, can relate to it. When a person says, I don't have time, is it true or not true? It's true, I'm very, very busy. But for what's really precious to us, we find time, even if we don't have time. Mm -hmm. And that's a truism of life. What could be really, truly, honestly busy, but for what we really, really want, even if there doesn't seem to be time in the Day, my day is scheduled, but it gets squeezed in here, squeezed in there, because I want it. If I'm doing it because it's an obligation, well, I don't have time for it. I, I, I honestly don't. I can show you my calendar. I don't have time. If it's something that I have to do for some type of obligation, I don't have time. But that very same thing, if it's not an obligation, but it's my own desire and pleasure, suddenly time appears in between all the areas that I don't have time. And that's really what they're telling the person in heaven. When the person says, I didn't have time, in a way it's true. Their schedule was booked. But they say, you know what? Hillel also really didn't have time. But he loved it enough. He appreciated it enough that time was found. And Rabbi Huda also didn't have time. He really didn't have time. He really had a lot on his plate. But he loved and appreciated it enough that time was there for it. And that's what our relationship to Torah has to be. When we recognize, what we've been talking here this hour, that Torah is, is, is the greatest gift, Matan Torah, that gift that Hashem gifted Himself to us, that power that He gives us, the Kedusha that He gives us, and He even goes so far as to take our Yetzirah away on Shavuos and allows us just to be open and receive it, that greatest gift, so we rededicate ourselves to it again on Shavuos in a way that we recognize and understand that, yes, we're busy. Baruch Hashem, we're busy. But we love it and care about it and treasure it enough that with all the busyness, we find the time to devote ourselves to it even more so this coming year. And Hashem should be able to receive the Torah again with Simcha, with Primius, with Bracha, with all the Brachas that come along with Torah. And that should be a, a wonderful Yom Tif. It says when Mashiach will come, that Hashem will give us even greater secrets of the Torah than ever before. Pasuk says, Teira Chadasha Mi'iti Tetzi, new levels and new ideas, because Teira is unlimited, because it's Hashem's wisdom. Hashem is unlimited, so Teira is unlimited. Hashem should continue to give us, each and every one of us, the Teira. We should receive it properly, with proper simcha, with proper bracha, have a good yom tev, and to be able to continue celebrating with that Teira onward. Wow. 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 Wow.